Robots Radio presents... Today's chat is brought to you by, well, all of your support. Through the patronage you provide the Focus Fire chat team through Podbean's crowdfunding, we are able to provide you with the weekly podcast as well as the website and other aspects of Focus Fire chat. If you have any interest in becoming a patron of the FFC, please be sure to visit our website and click on the support link. Even a single dollar helps, and for those of you who are already patrons, thank you again for your generosity. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome to Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on August 21st, 2020, over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat as we continue our discussion over the lore regarding Mars. This particular episode will serve as what we have come to call the advanced session of the week's exploration. Congratulations to those who've signed up for a deeper dive. Before we go any further, however, let's run through a quick introduction of who all we have with us on the show. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86 and this is the totally not staring at the Ephrodite art in the new uh, Solar Embrace Destiny Artist magazine that came out today. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. Green-eyed music lover. <laughs> She's in green, too. Like, so, it was meant to be. I mean, is this, like, on the level lies. of sure, or is this, like... This is different. <laughs> it's not the same level as sure or Mara, or Petra. Or Anna, or there's a lot. Let's just say that I have a thing for very strong women. I could have never guessed that. <laughs> and last, but definitely not the least, not Z-Day's guest host, we have our good friend Sitnal Gray. Gray, how are you doing? What page are you stuck on? I'm doing good, and I'm stuck on page. Hold on. I just scrolled past it. It's right here. Hold on. I'm stuck on page 78. Eight of one with all of her tattoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Who was the artist for that one? Uh, that would be. Sis- uh, is that who? Who was the writer of the Tostage. Tostage. Yes. Tostage is the one who did it. Yes. Lily. Lily is amazing. An amazing <sighs> artist. He actually did, or she actually did a few different pieces in this magazine, and the Ada is very nice. Very very nice. All right, Blue. We should go and talk. So about enough exos. with the chatter. Let's not, let's uh, let's not <laughs> let's get right into. Let's talk about Hephaestus because you know that's going to tie into Venus. Never mind. Anyways, um, <laughs> we're getting stuck on women. Uh the Hephaestus Project. Clovis Bray. Hephaestus Project was the project about creating all the different types of weapons. Blue, do you have that card? You do have that card pulled up. Oh, yep. And this is back to, we were talking in the introduction episode at the end of the episode about the concierge AI. And this is one of the consoles or terminals you can go to. This one is in the Aurora Reach area. So it's right outside of Rasputin. And it basically talks about the different aspects that you can find weapon-wise, that they were working on for Rasputin. It mentions Valkyrie, which everyone knows what that is. That's the javelin that you guys get to throw in-game. Sleeper Simulant. Everybody hates that gun, slash loves that gun, has love-hate relationship with it. Hades Flame and Aurora Knives, which one of those two we got to see in the live event... Would we say it's the Aurora Knives um, more than Hades Flame? Well, it's hard. 
It's never been confirmed. Right. I don't, I would say what we, I was actually thinking you were going to talk about the actual quest to recover the the shard because we get to see, um, I want to say that was Hades flame. Um, Mm -hmm. but that being said, we also have a comment later on in that, in, in this entry that says that there are currently at the time of the recording of the AI, there were currently a hundred over 150 projects in varying state, varying stages of research and development. So, you know, these are just what one, two, three, four, four options. Um, mm-hmm. And we know that he has been inventing weapons because Anna references it in um, a later entry because he has been adding to the index. So, I mean, like he's, he's, he's been building, he's been building. Yeah. It says this catalog of next generation weapons ranges from planetary cannons to small and midsize arms for use by ground infantry. Um, So the reference there uh, is actually in connection to an event that occurred in the collapse, uh, the devil and forge, uh, which was the creation of a mass production run on fusion rifles to provide to the civilians and military that were present to try to help defend themselves. Uh, it did not work out well, um, but that that is also so one of those weapons within this index. We've also had reference to in Destiny One lore that was actually part of the sleeper stimulant or super stimulant quest originally if i remember that correctly because you took one of those frames and actually i don't want to say perfected it but you you like upgraded it to get the sleeper simulant kind of yeah you had to do it in the wrath of the machine raid i mean yeah it's part of it well yeah that was that was the re that was when they brought it back but like the original like original sleeper simulant quest line um we actually end up you actually find out that you take one of those fusion rifle frames and you actually put um i want to say it's like 10 or 13 percent of a copy of rasputin into the weapon so actually sleeper simulant was a proxy of rasputin that we were carrying around with us um because it was basically him giving us that weapon in order to allow us to defend him um so it was he basically used it as a pass key to allow us into different areas um that so, normal guardians were let me in. let me backtrack a little bit i got so excited to talk about the weapons that i forgot to introduce our other guest i am so sorry gray this is gray gray say yeah, hello no but it's <laughs> is my fault i sentinel gray is here guys he's back our russian our russian accent voice actor extraordinaire friend hello how are you doing Ooh. <laughs> Although I threw I threw Jersey out there, you threw Russian out there. It's fine. It's fine. Mm. I have but a question he's... though: Is, Are some Do of the it. weapons uh, are some of the weapons that are being talked about here? And once again, Lord Noob, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. are they part of the Icolos? Yes, yes. Um, the Icolos project was the project that ultimately culminated. If I'm remembering this correctly, it ultimately culminated in the sleeper simulant. Um, you know, the Devil and Forge project, which was a separate project, the Devil and Forge project was the one that provided fusion rifles to the general public during the collapse. Before before Rasputin went into deep sleep, he tried to to he tried to help the public, 
um before he finally was like i can't you know like i I got nothing um because that was tried to do what the black armory basically ended up doing he tried to do the the forges essentially not the same exact style but try to give Mm -hmm. guns to civilians in a way that would yeah, I would argue that the reason the Black Armory may have may have achieved a little bit, I mean, they ultimately still met with the same conclusion, but I think the reason the Black Armory was a little bit more successful was Rasputin was very, very much a very prominent figure, whereas the Black, Black Armory was kind of more of a um, guerrilla warfare type thing. They, they were very quick at moving and keeping out of the, the public eye. Um, so they were a harder target to hit, whereas Rasputin's factories were probably, you know, prime targets, if you will. And so the, the, the manufacturing components were probably not easy to, to protect as, as much as the Black Armory. Because if you look at the forges, too, with the Black Armory, the forges are actually kind of mobile themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Whereas, they, or go for it. They were meant to be on the Exodus ships. Yes, yeah. That's how we got the ones right, on that's Nessus. Right, that's right. Right. Okay. Um, whereas Rasputin's Devil and Forges, I you know, I kind of always took them as more of like a um, a factory line, like an actual like you know they they were mass producing weapons, um, mm-hmm. which you know anything. It's not terrifying at all. I I was you know I'm sure that whoever was at the receiving end of the weapons for having some sense of defense probably was not too upset about it. But I mean, sure. I mean, the, the, right? You're you're correct in the sense of like it's like the Spartan Two argument from Halo Two. It's like, yeah, sure, they happen to save humanity, but what was the real reason that we had these guys? You know, that take like <laughs> six years to like that that hmm, timeline doesn't really match up. Oh, that's right, <laughs> the independence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I don't know. Like, we also know that Rasputin had exo militant units that were fighting vex so rasputin having a weapons factory or multiple weapons factory at i mean it's i know it's really easy to jump on the whole thing of clovis bray being nefarious but like that reminds me a lot of one of the recent things that seth actually came out and said with the forsaken entry or the forsaken um expansion uh, about like you know it's easy for us to jump to the negatives because it's hard for us to imagine a utopian world actually being something. But as much as that is an easy thing for us to jump to, that doesn't mean that it wasn't there. Like it, it he, there is an idyllic state in which not everything is nefarious. Clovis Bray is mm-hmm. by far no, by no means a golden standard as far as morality. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that like, you know, when they say that Rasputin was designed to be, you know, next generation weapons to protect humanity, it could be, it is not without, or it's not outside of the realm of possibilities that that is, that is exactly what it was. Um, it's just the, the things that they were protecting humanity from, you know, as we kind of spoke at the end of the last episode is Rasputin was pushing the boundaries of seeing threats before they materialize to our awareness. So he might've been prepping for that situation. You know, and and Possibly. thankfully, at least for few, you know, thankfully he was. I mean, even though ultimately it, it was not successful, he at least probably gave a few people a bit more time. There are some things that Clovis Bray did that are quite helpful, though. It wasn't just about 
creating weapons and protection and stuff like that. Oh yeah, he did. They did develop the the Warsat, mm-hmm. the network. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, that it was yeah. actually yeah. You want to talk about that one a little bit? The communication components. That was mm-hmm. the um. Is that's that's the it's, next entry, right? Yeah, I gave you a good segue for it. Yay! And so this one is the one that's in <clears throat> the the Mind Lab of Rasputin, which actually I love the name of that thing. Let me pull this up for everyone. So um, kind of like, I mean, I guess really anyone who has a cell phone, and this is a personal pet peeve of mine right now because my cell phone decided not to work anymore. Um, you know, it's the worst thing in the world to have a phone or have the means of communication and not have signal. And so really what, what basically Clovis Bray came back with was this thing called the Warset Network. Uh, and the introduction is, from Mercury to the outer planets, Clovis Bray provides the most robust communication network in the system. Our Warsat network watches over us all. Um, and it conti- I'm actually going to read this one because I really actually like the way that this one kind of plays out. He goes on to say, as humanity expanded to the far edges of the solar system, communications and logistics grew increasingly difficult among the outer planets. Pioneers of the outer frontier built makeshift transmission relays, but those were unreliable and prone to failure. The development of the Warmind program compelled a need for a unified circumstellar communication network, so Clovis Bray sees an opportunity to kill two birds with one exceedingly large stone. We built thousands of war satellites and deployed them throughout the system. These warsats link with the warmind designated Rasputin and with each other, forming an integrated defense and a comm system. Each satellite is equipped with a state-of-the-art kinetic superconductor that shields it from Kessler debris and has an orbital life spanning hundreds of years. No matter what threats lie in store for us, rest assured that that Rasputin and the Clovis Bray warsats will never cease their vigilant watch over humanity. Well, that can help a little bit with timeline. Hundreds of years? Well, at least, though, it's not a thousand years since right. things yeah. fell apart. Well, and I mean, arguably, a lot of the Warsats falling isn't because they're falling apart. It's because Rasputin's using them as slingshot stones to hit people with. Fell Don't winter. punch the anomaly. Don't punch the anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know about that lore, Gray? No, it sounds familiar, but I don't think I've read it. What is it? So the anomaly on the moon, there is a containment cell in the center of it. That's where the platforms rotate around the crucible map. Yeah. There's a Titan during one map who decided to go up and punch it. <laughs> and it was like, eh, nothing's going to happen. Oh, nothing What you going to do? And not long after that, Rasputin threw a warsat at her and spashed her. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Hello, chat. Rasputin is basically throwing Golden Age 5G satellites at people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not wrong. 5G oh satellites oh. that have lasers attached to them. And large Because spikes. it's the warsats. Sats with freaking lasers attached to their freaking head. Right. Like the lasers. On the warsats are actually what causes the Aurora Knives, which is, I believe, we if we're gonna, it's the what was aimed at the Almighty coming towards the tower, and in the legacy entries, the web lore that I sent you, Gray, that is what is shot at Anna Bray when she's trying to get close to the 
location. I can't remember the name. What, it, what was it called? Blue. Do you remember off the top of your head? Oh, um, the last site, site thirteen or whatever. Yeah, God, I I did, and I just blanked on it. Um, Hold on, it's not I'm Echo. Uh, now I'm skimming through it. Should be fairly close to the beginning as she's talking to Jinju. Kaleus, 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 Kaleus. Gosh, man. Mm. Names. Anyway, it was the last site that Anna was going to yeah. try to re. Callus. Get rest. Ka- or not Callus, Kaleus. 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 I hate AEs. They're really annoying sounds. <laughs> That's because English doesn't have too many vowels put together. We don't practice it very often. No, we don't. Any. Uh, do you want to talk about exos and engrams? Because those. <laughs> Exos. Exos are recommended to only have 22 resets. Looking at you, Echo 2374. Mm. <laughs> Looks at, bun- uh, at Banshee with intent. Oh, gosh. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, yeah. no dancing. That's mean. <clears throat> Brew is being mean. Challenging right. us to pronounce German words that neither of us know how to pronounce. <laughs> uh, this is so exos the human mind um, in a mechanical body. Gosh, this would be yeah. this makes me so excited. I want this. I want it. You want to be an, an exo. exo? Yes, not have to sleep. Yes, that would be amazing. You're like doing grabby hands at the screen. Like, <laughs> give it to me. I want it now. <laughs> I want it now. Um, <laughs> sorry, I got. Disassociative exomine rejection, DER. Um, there's no segue for that. I'm just going to move on. Uh, basically, they, they're talking about DER is really actually a really fascinating concept because basically what it is is a psychological inability to come to terms with the fact that um, you're in a different body. Because be, there, And it's, it's, it's so fascinating because it's actually really grounded in something pretty true um we have so many things going on in our minds that are completely and utterly unconscious like they there are so many things that happen below the level of consciousness that what was happening with what they refer to as nascent proto exos so these were the earlier um earlier versions before the actual exos were formalized um so earlier developments they would they would basically develop serious symptoms of a cognitive disorder um, and what this cognitive disorder was was literally the inability to accept that they were they they thought themselves to death basically but not in a way like rampancy where you're you know like halo thought to death no this was something that like they would have the in like so you they basically figured out what they needed to do was they needed to program the exo body to do things similar to what a human body does. So things like, I don't know, breathing. Exos don't need to breathe. There is no need for them physically to breathe, but they still do because the brain that has been digitized into the exo, um, you know, whatever, whatever brain or whatever mind technology they have, um, the brain is, it requires those touchstones of comfort to allow it to remain sane. Um, we see that today with phantom limb pain. 
Um, if you know, if you've ever heard of this, it's basically if you have someone who has lost an entire limb or, you know, either, either an appendage or anything like that. But basically what happens is you have ghost pains from that missing limb, even though it is physically not present, it is incapable of giving you any information through your nerves. Feedback. You will, you will, I mean, they, they swear that it will give them sensation. Usually it's like a burning sensation. Um, it's not a pleasant sensation. Um, some people like, depending on if it's a full limb or if it's just an appendage, like if you have people who have lost an arm, they'll, they'll refer to it as like pins and needles. Um, but sometimes they'll even refer to it as pins and needles to specific areas on the limb that they no longer have. Uh, and it's basically a lot of times science has kind of come back and been like, well, these are misfirings of the nerves, you know, what have you. But at the same time, your brain is still having to take that information that's being processed and make sense of it. And what they found with the disassociative exomind rejection is that this was something that they they had to address because they basically they because of their inability to reconcile its presence in the new body, they would die. They they would just either go insane or they would just shut down and become basically probably a vegetable at that point. Um so this was also where they introduced the idea of the reboot. This was one of the uh, several solutions that the Clovis Bray Corporation, the Exosciences Division, came up with. Um, and what this is doing is it's basically tricking the brain into uh, into being reborn into this new body, um, which is where you see memory loss and fragmentation. Um, but they were say, but they said that even though that you lose your memory or you have fragmented memories, it does actually prevent a, to a high degree DER. Um, and that's where, the, that's where they say the reboot process can be repeated multiple times to further the odds of survival. Uh, it is currently, it is not currently known how many times a human consciousness can be rebooted, but scientists estimate it to be about 20. Um, and then the second preventative measure is exactly what I was just talking about, uh, basically programming certain what they refer to as humanisms within the exos. Uh, as machines, they have not the physical needs to eat or reproduce like real humans, but artificially injecting that drive has been clinically proven to reduce the odds of DER. So, I- This is actually the argument that exos do have many of the same... Needs, I think, is the most PG way I could say it. Psychologically, yes. That they have the same drives psychologically was, that humans do. Yes. Well, yep. So I would argue that some of them do because it yeah, also it I mean, also kind of seems like that maybe that's not a standard operation. I would say so. Chad is arguing with me. I will say that if they have the psychological need to do that, that Clovis Bray likely gave them the equipment to do that. And that's where we're going to end this discussion before we go too graphic with it. (laughs) Because, yes, Rule 34 (laughs) is a thing. And if you talk to any exo main, they will tell you that they can do all the same things that Awoken and Human can do. So we know one person. <laughs> Definitely. <yeah. laughs> she Cole will fight, fight you that. to the death. <laughs> yep. Anyway. So I, I do have a small question about this, though. Mm-hmm. Go for is it. it. Is it just because the, how do I put this, the exo brain can't handle it is the reason why exos are reset? 
Like, is it just that it can't survive being, for lack of a better term, on or like retain that much memory for that period of time? Or what is like the reason why X's are reset? um, It's not that the so there's there's a difference between hardware and software. Um, The hardware of an XO would be 100 percent capable of of maintaining and probably be fine. The problem is in, in the software itself. It's the ghost, you know, the ghost in the machine. Um, basically the ghost is not playing the game because a human body, the human brain has so many unconscious mechanisms that it, you know, like blinking eyes, breathing, you know, the, the need to eat, the need to sleep. These things are at our core part of our existence. Like we, we, we can't, you can't have a human who doesn't do any of these things, but that, you know, by definition, if you don't do those, you die, um, or you go insane and then die. Um, basically death is the ultimate consequence of not doing any of these core, core functions of the animal brain. Like as a, as a mortal flesh and blood animal, these are things that we are, we have baked into our psyche that we have to achieve and so what you're doing is you're ripping that hierarchy of needs completely out and you're not necessarily replacing it with anything um because like exos i mean there's i'm sure there are basic requirements for an exo to maintain functionality but they're not to the same degree of the the hierarchy of the complex hierarchy of needs that a human would exist in and so if you look at you know, let's, I mean, just kind of doubling down on the Maslow, Maslow theory. If you threaten any point of these high, any point of these levels of needs, you have a different psychotic break at that point. Um, a human being, if you remove its security, a human being will revert back to requiring that being established before they then can proceed to the, the higher levels. Um, you know, Maslow had five or five or six, I can't remember off the top of my head, but around five or six requirements before you get to the top, at which the top is when you start being like, hey, this is where we have first world problems, basically. It's it's the, the concept of like complex existence. Everything else is like security, food and shelter, um, sleep, you know, reproduction, all these base needs in an exo don't exist. And so your your brain has you're talking about you know millennia of instinctual psychological conditioning to want those things or to to not just want but need those things. So to rip the carpet out from underneath it is going to cause severe psychosis. Um, so again, it's it's not a hardware issue; it's actually a software issue in the sense that you're digitized. Self the problem that the I problem. have with the concept of it being a software defragmentation, which is kind of like the the idea that you're getting at, right? Like the software being re realigned and rehashed a little bit so it works more efficiently, is that we have examples of exos who are not guardians because adding the guardian factor in does change things most likely. Mm-hmm. We have, but yeah. we have examples of exos who have hardly ever been reset who seem just fine. Well, but that but that's because if they haven't been reset, their memories haven't been fragmented. Right, but if they're dealing with having a ton of extra memories and that's what causes the defragmentation okay, to I mean, be needed. Right, right, right. But here, it's not, I'm, oh yeah, sorry, go for it. I was just going to say, if it's not an overabundance of experiences, 
maybe uh, like I'm thinking the future war cult leader. I can't think of her name at the moment. Uh, Lakshmi. Um, Lakshmi too. Lakshmi. Mm-hmm. She's only had two resets and technically only one reset if the original was one and not starting with just Lakshmi. Right. So, Which I would argue would probably be the case because you have eight of one. Mm-hmm. So what what causes the fact, the trigger to actually do the reset is the weird, weird thing. Right. And I, I would argue, I would come back with you and say, as with everything psychological, it's completely and utterly dependent on the individual. You don't have... So Banshee is a crazy, crazy man who has to be reset over and over Banshee, again? Banshee, well, either that or... <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get through this conversation without pissing off somebody. So um, (laughs) I'm just going to basically say like Banshee. So for Banshee, okay, let's take Banshee versus Lakshmi because Ada, the problem with Ada is Ada is not an X or is not a uh, Clovis Bray XO. Clovis Bray. So she Mm -hmm. is her own case, like completely separate. Um, But you have, so you have Lakshmi, Lakshmi two, you have Cade six, Mm -hmm. and then you have Banshee, what is he 44 now mm-hmm. the difference between those three you know it it could simply stem down to how comfortable are these people with themselves you know lakshmi is very confident it's very self-confident she is very familiar with what she's doing she's very confident in what she's doing and she's also not a guardian which neither is banshee but Cade has that extra that added added component which actually Cade mentions on top of that um mm-hmm. but with lakshmi the way I kind of I kind of just go back to if you are if you are firmly grounded in yourself from a psychological standpoint it's going to take what what would take you know one person being shaken is going to not bother you at all. And so Banshee could be, you know, take your pick on psychological shortcomings. He could be overly emotional. He could have been he could have been a psychological, you know, broken individual that was Let's just go crazy with theories here. He could have been digitized as an experiment from a prison. You know, like, I mean, I we, we know nothing about the basis of these these individuals. Um, mm-hmm. And so and just the same as what we see with the um, the Siva mites, the the um, the owl sector. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Each one of those individuals broke down differently. Now, granted, each one of those individuals was exposed to a different strand of Siva mites. You notice that each one of them took different times to break down. Uh, same with sure. the, you know, same with uh, the Revelations team on the moon. There was there was a degree. Everyone broke down. Everyone went insane. But there was a degree of which there were a group of people who, largely for the most part, did not break at that time. I mean, there was a group of people who pretty much held up until the very end, and they were pretty sane. However. The commander, the one that's in charge of everything, she went bat like com- like halfway through the whole thing, and you know she completely embraced the paranoia. Um, it, it's the same same thing here. It's it's you know who knows who knows what is the particular strength of character that prevents you from rebooting. They um, the but the thing the thing that I do think here. <laughs> And the reason I would argue that it is a software issue, not a hardware issue, is because, and this is this is my headcanon, so I'll, I'll clarify that really quick, is the reboot doesn't seem to rewrite physically anything. Now, that being said, we do have a comment about the number being etched on their skin, which mm-hmm. 
I personally am still struggling to kind of find an answer of how that particular piece happens. But my thought is, is that when you talk about the reboot, it is an entirely reshuffling of the program, the software of the individual that's been uploaded, which is why you have the fragmentation and the memory loss. Um, way back in D1, we had the Dark Tower card where the explanation of the reboot is them traveling across a plane to reach a dark tower. And in the process of traveling across this plane, they have to kill every single person that they have ever encountered in their life. And basically only by kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Only by killing every single person, do they achieve the tower? Not many of them make it to the tower, but some do. And you know what I mean? What is that? What what does that imagery mean here? What happens when they reach the tower? What happens if they don't reach the tower? Do they do they lose more if they reach the tower? Or do they lose more if they don't? You know, because they weren't able to kill everything. Um, you know, we've we've before rec- we uh, have referenced this as a defrag. Really, um, part of the defrag is getting rid of the ghost files in your computer, uh, and and so that's really what this reboot is doing. It's actually taking it's taking the parts of the program that are causing the problem and it's removing them. And that's why you have memory loss and fragmentation is because it's literally finding pieces that is causing this, this DER, this disassociative disorder. And it's saying, okay, mm-hmm. this is the flag, delete it. So that memory could be in the middle of the, another couple memories. And all of a sudden those two memories that were connected are no longer connected. So you have fragmented memories. That's, that's how I read the concept of a reboot for an EXO is that it's literally it's it's the deep stone crypt is both a I, I argue the deep stone crypt is a backup but it's also monitoring what is going on within all these digitized versions and as the problems come up you know Cade mentions this as things start piling up you you kind of they they start getting more and more red flags my argument would be that there's a threshold that once red flags hit above x it goes and it kicks in a reboot and then it just goes through and it just cuts all the red flags and deletes them and purges them. And then that's when you have the side effects right here that we're talking about with the concierge AI. So I want to talk about the effects of digitizing information as in, as in memories or just consciousness in general and talk about how the engram yes and that concept in particular is going to become very important and that is actually the next concierge in ai where clovis bray talks about the discovery and the um development Mm -hmm. of the engram and digitizing information within the construct of that itself Engineers of the 21st century hit the physical limit in the advancement of silicon transistors, unable to resolve the issue of quantum tunneling at the nanoscopic level. The dream of quantum computing danced at the edge of our predecessors' imaginations, somewhere between science and science fiction. Ironically, it would take a further technological leap for us to later return and resolve the messy problem of quantum incoherence. That leap was first successful encoding of solid matter by Dr. Willa Bray, opening a window to the wonderful world, wonderful and mysterious world of the engram. The latest and most exciting application of this new state of matter is within the field of engrammatic computation. Physically encoding conventional silicone transistors allow them to safely store exponentially more information in a smaller space. 
with that breakthrough, our computer computing power has grown immeasurably, and we can now actualize what was once bound to the dreams and fictions of our ancestors. So I mentioned earlier the concept of legacy and the concept of uh, it was in Duress and Egress, Anna Frayed is the name of the card, where Anna basically shoots with the help of Jinju, her ghost, shoots Rasputin into an engram. That is a lot of information. And even Anna doesn't know if they got it all. Do we have any ideas or theories on how this is going to continue? Because we've talked about the possibility of Rasputin being not only digitizing the engram, but being transferred into an exobody himself because we have the old, old concept art labeled as Rasputin. Blue, you want to kind of dive into this a little bit? Yes, but I'm scared. Um, You're scared. So, I, I mean, like, Ingrams, Ingrams are just, oh my gosh, Ingrams are so fascinating in and of themselves. Like, just, I'm going to, I'm going to just preface that. The the idea of an engram stems from relic crystals, which was a derivative of the crystalline structure found within relic iron back in D1. Um, and so basically, you know, kind of what Green was just reading about, like the, the, the level of material that is able to be compressed into these things is, is actually really cool. Um, engrams are... <laughs> So engrams are basically a data chip encased in glimmer is really what they are because glimmer is programmable matter. Um, the engram itself, I would argue, is really more the the core of the data that's stro- stored within that particular stuff, which is why you have to decode engrams, right? That's where the entire concept of cryptarchs come in. Uh, the Awoken are exceptionally good at this. Um, and you can store quite a bit i mean like store quite a bit of information you you have anything from a basic gun to a ship um but that being said i mean i think that's the challenge right that you're mentioning here with the rasputin piece is what's the limit of like not even what's the limit i mean so ignoring the ignoring the time window that anna had to shove you know I just imagine as much information. Just imagine someone panic packing in a you know in those silly action movies where like pack all the stuff and they have to go and they grab all their clothes and they're trying to throw it all in the suitcase and it just doesn't fit. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened with Rasputin. Um, I mean, so like taking taking that component apart, like I don't you know there's there's a there's a data storage limit. Now with engrams, I don't know necessarily if there is a data storage limit. Because when you start talking about, you know, they're bypassing quantum tunneling, you know, that that's kind of that kind of takes the entire concept of, oh, hey, there's only, you know, three hundred three or two hundred fifty six teraflops capability on this thing. No, I mean, if you if you step aside, if you step around that entire issue and you're talking about it on a nanoscopic level, I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> you, you can you can you, you can store pretty much anything you know i mean it, it's like you're you're bypassing the entire limitation that we currently have with process, with with storage on a digital level and and that is 
to me just my i mean that that alone that concept alone is just mind-boggling um right so i mean i would say that when it comes to the situation with well, yeah situation with rasputin i think you know the data limit is not the problem it is literally going back to how much was she able to to pump into the engram um which that's going to be interesting in and of itself too because what happens if she forgot the black box morality system you know that seems like a really important thing to 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 bring on i wonder if it's i wonder in like if it's the case of because there's I'm assuming nowhere in the lore have they ever found a storage limit to an engram, right? There is, yeah. I mean, uh, chat's talking about there's a reference where Sloane's looking for something, and they're like, "Oh, just get an engram for a bridge." I mean, they and yeah, Amanda talks to her about that. It's like because the, the thing is, is remember with glimmer, glimmer is literally programmable matter. That's why it's a currency, is because it can be anything. You put a program into it, and it will become whatever it has been programmed to become. Which is why when you decrypt, when you decrypt an engram, it becomes a weapon or it becomes a ship. You know, like in D one, actually, I don't think you do you decrypt ships anymore in D two. I don't think you do. D one, you do get them from. Yeah. You can get them from. Can you uh, like exotic engrams? Tests. Thank you. Okay. Tess. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I know in D1, you would actually have to go get blueprints, then get to the engram, and, you know, like, there was an actual process to get the ships. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Which was, I still love that process, because it actually was like, oh, I actually want to keep this ship, because I literally made it. Um, but that's where, like, you know, when you take an engram to Raul, or to, you know, the Drifter, or whoever, and you have them decode it, what they're doing is they're actually unlocking... The firewall that is on this jump drive. It's a 3D printer. It, it, it is. It is a 3D. It's a it's a one time use 3D printer. Um, and it it's like that alone honestly makes me fascinated with engrams. Um, just because. So here's it's just fascinating. The, here's the concept that gets me a little bit. So engrams are programmable matter. It is just information, the blueprint of whatever weapon or sparrow or whatever you're dealing with. The idea of Rasputin being programmable, like it's just the information is inside of this programmable. It's a thumbstick. She is carrying around Rasputin in a thumbstick yep. that she better not get anywhere near a magnet. Well, or I swear to God. <laughs> so I would, I would, I mean, yes, but also realize that the it's a it's a it's a data storage unit that is the entire bobble of glimmer it's not like there's like it's not like sure i i does that make sense like it's not like a it's, it's like, not a memory stick inside glimmer it's literally I, the I'm ball. Aware. No, no 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 i'm just i'm just trying to i'm trying to verbalize what my thoughts are on that does that make sense right is that what you were yeah. understanding too okay it, it's crystalline um it's basically writing things through a crystalline uh yes which structure speaking of which we did it's, just get a uh technology just did that uh i think it was last year they actually started testing with doing stuff like that An- another way you could look at it and you guys can correct me if i'm wrong but another way of looking at it is like putting music on records yes mm-hmm. you're etching in that music on a record you're etching in that data in that engram the thing is though is that the etching within an engram itself the problem with what we have with a thumbstick or 
data storage of any sort nowadays is that it has a limited amount of space. So Ngrams actually bypass that by magic at this point because it's so far advanced that I don't know how they would do it. But they're talk- he talks about that, uh, the quantum bypass, right? Like mm-hmm. the nanoscopic levels. He's able to write at such a intensely small level with such variance that what Blue was saying is that there is very little to no limit on the size that we know of well here's here's my train of thought if let's just say for sake of argument that an n-gram is literally an unlimited amount of storage for data Mm -hmm. and she dumped rasputin onto that unlimited amount of storage of data at that point the only issue i guess you can call it would be how much got transferred in that amount of time right but that goes in with what type of hardware are you using? Because I'm assuming that Ngram, because it has an unlimited amount of storage, it can take data at whatever rate you throw at it. So if well, you dump all the computing and, power that Rasputin had into that Ngram. Well, and I think they were using Jinju too, weren't they? Jinju is the one who actually shot the information in there. The thing that I would actually argue is that there are Ngrams with limited amount of data. The blue engrams, the green engrams, the white engrams are all of lesser powered weapons and armor pieces, which would imply that they are more simplistic, which implies they're not nearly as um, intricate. So theoretically, the lighter the engram and our scale that we use, the less data is that is capable of being stored on it or less data that was stored. So the idea of Rasputin being in an engram, there may be a limit. There may be an actual limit, and there may not be everything of Rasputin on there. Well, the, oh, I guess cool. one of the questions is, what is the color of Rasputin's engram? The color? It's red. the same. It's the same. I was going to say, it's tell me same, it's red. Uh, <laughs> it's the same thing as the exotic engrams from uh, the Warmind thing. It's got like the little tetrahedron, <clears throat> not the tetrahedron, but the little like hex, the hexagonal things. Mm hmm. Just. Red. I I will fully accept the full uh, red engram too. But real quick, uh, I mentioned the crystal uh, data storage. That's called a five D opt five D optical data storage. Uh, colloquially, we call it the Superman memory crystal. Um, but it is a nanostructured glass that is designed to permanently record digital data using a femtosecond laser writing process. Uh, the theor- the theoretical limit for the the version that we came up that they came up with i think it was in 2013 uh was 360 terabytes worth of data for billions of years so yeah it's it like we have cases in which we are using crystalline structures to store data on and the way that we store that data is in such way that like you can i mean let me, let me see. Uh, up to 18 layers have been tested using optimized parameters with a light pulse energy of 0.2 microjoules with duration of 600 FS and a repetition rate of 500 kilohertz. Um, like it, it can do this exceptionally quickly and it just it can store just a mind-boggling amount of information. And this is nothing compared to what's being described in an engram. So All right. So I have a I have another question slash theory. 
So yes, and, and if we're st- staying too much on a topic, please let me know. We can move on. Um, no. So if whenever whenever Rasputin got transferred into an engram, was mm-hmm. he one hundred percent knocked out unconscious, or was he there whenever the process happened? <laughs> That's what Chat just he brought up. Is it the cookie episode out. from Black Mirror? <sighs> okay. Um, it, the only reason why I ask is, uh, I don't know if this would work that way because engrams are predetermined data, like you said, white and green and blue and all that. Would it be possible if he knew what was happening and if he was conscious that he could rewrite the engram to take all of his program? The problem is, is that what was initiated a Rasputin was under attack while this was going on yeah, and he was Jinju, fine. yeah i mean <laughs> maybe jinju was actually the one to shoot the the information into the engram jinju pulled the information out of rasputin's base core and shot it into the engram which would mean that jinju if anything's missing it's jinju's fault and we could <laughs> shoot that little jerk <laughs> I imagine Anna might have a problem with that. (laughs) It's fine. She's fine. At least take the mites from the ghost. (laughs) Yeah, we could get rid of, what is it, Faux and Dia? Your punishment. You you miss this part, we're going to take Phobos. (laughs) You get to keep Deimos so that you remember the mistake you made. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, poor Jinju. I actually like Jinju. She's a funny ghost. Yeah, well, She's... because because that's a thing that actually happens, like, because Jinju's the one that does it, mm-hmm. that, to me, that leaves the big... Question mark? That, well, the, the big question mark, plot hole, whatever the hell you want to call it, of because a ghost did it, we don't know the computing power of a ghost. So, if anything's missing... how long it takes it to open a door... Well, that being said, we're... though, but that being said, real quick, remember that our ghost did download the entirety of the information within the world's grave. Yeah. And, yeah, and then it takes five minutes to open a door. open a door. Well, no, no I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you there. But he also did that in, like... A couple minutes. So, so I mean, what I'm so what I'm hearing is Ghost is good at downloading and uploading information, but is not good at actually decoding. It well, doesn't have the programming to actually. Yeah, decode. I mean that's that's like saying, and Lada is saying that too. Storage is not equal to computing speed. So you can be a tether, a bridge between two things, and not be very good at. Like I mean, if I plug a USB cord into two things. If it, I mean, USB cord's good at transferring data, but it's not going to, I mean, I'm not going to be like, oh, okay, you're going to solve all the world's problems now. No, that's, that's, I mean, it's not what it's designed to do, which goes into a whole different theory about ghosts that we're not going to go down to. I love that theory. I know. Anyway, we should talk, let's do an ad break real quick, and then we'll talk about just kind of, let's talk about memories of our favorite missions and quests and adventures on Mars rather than go into each and individual ones. Does that sound fair? We can also continue this story about Ingrams and Rasputin and where in the world we're going in the future, but I want to do an ad break first. So we'll be right back. Are you an avid player of the Elder Scrolls Online and looking to take your game to that next level? Well, the Red Diamond Courier podcast is here to help. I'm Bob Chichinsky. And I'm Dogbark24. We are two experienced players aiming to help others learn and improve through in-game knowledge and references. From PvE. 
to PvP, and everything in between. There's sure to be something for you in the Red Diamond Courier. We, we hope, hope you check, check us, us out. out. Thanks. And we're back, and we're going to talk about not in grams. For at least well, a little you, you said like, something, as, yeah. and it made, it made me... Th- Go oh, God. No, no, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> you said something, and it made me think, like, where in the world is Rasputin? Well, where in the world is Rasputin San Diego, everybody? <laughs> hmm I'm writing that down. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. That's the next t-shirt. Um, Picture of a red Rasputin engram. Rasputin needs... Yes. Yeah. And floating off to the side. With Somebody the who isn't... Yes, with the little mites. Somebody please design this. A Rasputin engram that is red... Where in the world is Rat? Ras, how'd you say it? Rasputin San Diego. Because <laughs> it's With, Carmen San Diego. Mm hmm. Yes. Blue's writing it down. <laughs> Yay. All right. So I'll we be have honest, a I couple have so of different many missions. random things written down for shirts from just like in the middle of shows. I'm like, <gasps> you should send those to me. Uh, the missions on Mars. We have quite a few to choose from most of them are fairly straightforward and we've played them a hundred times does anybody have a favorite mission adventure or anything that they have on mars or favorite thing that they've done on mars because we haven't actually talked about any of the the little targets the data stores i hear or anything like that i hear over. that there's a really popular one that's like will of the hundreds or something like that um oh my god <laughs> will of thousands <laughs> That jerk. <laughs> what about him? It's a, it's a nice guy. Will of like mm. a few. <laughs> that jerk. I actually will of none. We now. were doing a we were doing a strike. Yeah, no kidding. We were doing a strike the other day. That strike, and we were down to like the last second. And I don't know what triggered him to do this, but he lashed out and nailed all three of us at the same time. Like that snake bite move he does. Oh, I guess it was too close. Yeah, but he hit all three of us. Not all three of us were up on him. He managed to nail all of us. Do you know the range of that snap? That's half the platform. Well, that's why we all died. (laughs) He had lunch that day. (laughs) It was, yeah, it was last stand too. But that one, I mean, that one's interesting because that one also had the crystals for Lumina tied to it. Because you had to shoot those with Rose. Mm -hmm. It confuses me every single time I run through it too, because I'm like, why are you still here? Oh, that's right. You're just static. I'm kind of glad that they're there, though, because it's a nice reminder of what else happened in this the strike. Because there are some things that I've forgotten that we've done at this point that we just don't go back and do anymore. Um, psionic Potential, I thought, was fun. That was a throwback to the old Scion Flayers without yeah, actually yeah. having Scion Flayers. I was very upset about that, but yes, yes. Um, you know, there's just so many fond memories about stepping into a war with the cabal on mars there it is Mm -hmm. so let's get to taking out their command one by one did you see the cross stitch yep that i think uh jess is making nerd and needle did it no no uh jess is crafting geek is doing it Uh uh-huh oh my gosh i was cannot believe i hope she sends that to lance um There's what's the name of the other strike? The one with Nocris. I don't have it on the spreadsheet because I did not get 
all of them on there. Hold on, give me one second. That I'm one. In, I'm still in D2, so I can that's, pull it up. I've, I've purged that one from my brain. Strange terrain. Strain, one, strange terrain. That one I need to actually do to get the stupid rocket launcher. I need to do it as the nightfall, because that is the one thing I'm missing for Wayfair, and I've never done that nightfall. Oh, have fun. Bye. Yeah, I, I had a uh, <laughs> that was one of the ones that I needed for Wayfair. And uh, mm-hmm. let me tell you, the noise that I made once I finally got Osprey to drop. Mm-hmm. Ooh, there was a lot it's of like the of this and... game without actually being good. Uh, Hephaestus was the one where we learned about the different weapons. We actually learned about those in game. That was kind of cool. I actually, I'll be honest, my, my favorite memory was really the the ghost scans with the concierge AI. Um, I know that's not like a, a mission or anything like that, but like the, the, because of the, like, I mean, obviously the conversation we just had, but because of what that opens, like the doors that were open because of it. Um, mm-hmm. The other one that was fun was the, uh, God, what was it? When you ran around and you shot the little, um, little target targets yeah the little targets mm-hmm. that were like different elements or whatever it, oh yeah. yeah what was that was that that wasn't data Pol- nodes yeah but that wasn't for polaris lance was it that was for um sleeper. world line zero oh, okay. nope world was- line zero and the sparrow oh that's right there so was because you got I like that one just 30 because five of them yeah. to get the sparrow. weapon and then you got all 40 something of them to get the sparrow yes actually now that i think about that Shouldn't uh, this uh, this might be a little bit of a gripe and a complaint, but shouldn't they have made the you know whenever you you put all the pieces together, you get the code, and then you have to go to the the node in order to open it up, and you get the thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so isn't the catalyst for sleeper opening every single one of them, but you can never like it doesn't let you decide which one to go to. It always gives you a random one. Oh, those are the. There is a theory um, that you can those control. Those are the singers. Yeah, there is a theory that there's a way to control them, if I remember correctly, because there there was oh gosh, it was something like they found a pattern based on the the location that you opened it, and then the location that it unlocked. There was a theory mm-hmm. that like it would never open in the same zone that you were in. So if you, I did notice that. So if you had particular ones in other zones, they they kind of broke down. I think it was raid secrets. I know that's a huge surprise. Um, that figured this <laughs> out. Like I was just like, but there was a theory too that like if you had one or two that were missing, I think they said something about if you were in orbit and you unlocked them, it would have a higher chance to to focus in on those. I th- hmm. think that was. Ooh. I would have to dig that out. It was a while back that I saw that over on raid secrets though. Okay. So the music boxes and the targets were two different little quests, though. But those were the those were actually I, I thought was the exception of getting enough public events or adventure or patrols or whatever to get the keys to do the music boxes. Yep. I thought those were kind of fun, to be honest. I, I enjoyed still the targets. Those. Do what? I still haven't finished those stupid things. <laughs> I finished it on both Xbox and PlayStation separately, so you can finish those. <laughs> no. But you still don't have the Osprey, do you? I don't you? want it. No, I don't, yeah. I don't have the Osprey. <laughs> I don't do Nightfalls often enough. There's a clip mm. that I have that probably my my most favorite memory of Mars is, it was whenever I was going for Wayfarer, a Wayfarer, and I only needed 
the 18 Kelvins and the Frigid mm-hmm. Jackal. I walk up to Anna Bray and I do this whole entire long spiel of like, hey, girl, it's your boy. You know, I like you a lot, like like flirting with her before I turn this thing in. I was like, I'd really like an 18 Kelvins or a Frigid Jackal. I turn it in. She gives me an 18 Kelvins. I was like, thanks, baby girl. And then walk away. <laughs> <laughs> those we're moments, done those don't talk to me again you do. <laughs> like, god that's like that's that brings right. back that brings Who's back vault of glass <laughs> hidden chest memories all right everyone jump mm-hmm. jump three times and stand on the chest backwards what just do it well you know you know you gotta, the rituals with like the trials lighthouse chest too oh like, yeah they would they, do prayers oh gosh, over the top yeah, of they, it yeah <laughs> Unload Gallowhorn into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was oh gosh, yeah. I I was the one that always because I just have really annoying RNG, but I was the one that they were all like, "You have to do this, you have to do that." And I just walked up to the chest and opened it, and they're like, "I hate you so much." Because I was like, "Oh look, Vex Mythoclass, like done." All right, moving on. Yeah. Let's just get out <laughs> of here. Never got that weapon. I hope I know it's not coming back, but I hope it does at some point. Oh my god, that weapon was so much fun. The thing that eluded me, something back for it. The one that eluded mm-hmm. me for the longest time was Fatebringer. That was the one that I, when I finally got that, I was like, "Yep, this is never coming off." <laughs> you know, one of my other favorite memories of Mars is showing up at Rasputin and somehow, some way, Big Bald and Blue is there. <laughs> after we fought our way in, he beat oh, us. He there. opens yep. the door. What took you so long? I hate you so right? much. Like Zavala has cheat codes. Like, oh, brah, if you could get in here the entire time, what the hell did we just do? Oh, I mean, right? he just he just made a wish on a dragon, right? Rasputin oh, has God. so has... many good little things. Like Osiris gets in a fight with Zavala's Rasputin. ghost can open doors. <laughs> Z- that's funny, but Zavala's ghost also gets taken over by Rasputin for a hot minute too. Back in season of the, that was uh, it was the Shadowkeep. Yeah, but no, it was I'm unworthy. Sh- it was not season of Undying though. It was the season oh, after Undying. Yeah, it was uh, um, worthy. Yes, worthy. Yeah. yeah, I said unworthy, but it's worthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's and then man, Rasputin lore in general because we talked last week about Io and Arecibo and all of that, and then you have Rasputin taking over Zavala's ghost for fun, funsies. Which, which by I the believe- way, mm-hmm. that it can't be that difficult to do if Rasputin and the darkness can do it almost on a whim. <laughs> yeah, gosh, that is a little. The darkness is Rasputin, but in the future. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that but that doesn't make sense no it doesn't but here's a you know what story i love i love how like everyone's like oh, don't do that i'm like no that that no i don't you're right <laughs> it doesn't make sense but still don't give them ideas no, that's now that's fair funny. that's fair that's you a know, fair point you know what we haven't talked about that's actually heavily related to mars we kind of semi mentioned it with the mention of myelova we haven't talked about Ares one that lore actually came back in d2 as well it's not tied directly to mars because we got that lore through eververse mm-hmm. but well, it is a mm. mars mission yeah i mean it is it's also i mean i would argue that Ares one kind of transcends a single planet because it's both 
I would I would argue it's both. I know it's not easy, but it would be Earth. Um, Earth. As much as it is Mars, if not, actually, I would pr- I would almost argue Aries one was a little bit more Earth, especially with the stuff that we got this in mm-hmm. this installment, because a lot of what was going on with Aries one was actually what was happening in the clubhouse mm-hmm. and how someone may or may not have removed a threat to itself. Oh, are. <laughs> Man, sucks that those fire alarms were defective, doesn't it? <laughs> do you know that story, Gray? I don't think I do. So in Ares 1, it's the mission for the very first cutscene in Destiny, period, where you see the Traveler for the first time back in D1. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the Ares 1 mission. That is the group of astronauts that went out and met the Traveler. Well, we got some armor pretty early on in D2 that talks about the story behind them going to Mars. And one of the instances that happens is that the AI, I think his name was just R, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, it was just he, which, yeah, it was just referred to as R. So the AI is implicated in this fire, which... They can't prove it, but it's all like, it's like... There was a lot of defective components in this thing that the clubhouse went up in fire and there happened to be the one person who was trying to, I don't think she was trying to, yeah, she wasn't trying to shut him down, but she was basically trying to limit his overreach because she was mad because he was making judgments on all of them, which was hilarious on the other, the other end of the spectrum because he was being a little (laughs) judgy McJudgerson, like forming opinions about each of them behind their backs and she she wanted to take it up to um who was it is it was it hardy that she wanted to give it to i think it was hardy mm-hmm. and mihalova was trying well and and that's i think that's the argument right now is like we to be fair we don't know that it was r that removed the threat it could have also been mihalova because mihalova was very territorial when it came to her work um i i kind of think it was r but um just simply because Mialova was still part of the team and still pretty integral to the team even after that, um, which just seems weird. But What's cool, though, is that with the Fellwinter mission, we actually got to see some remnants of R, like the historical aspect, right? Like yes. that's what they were talking yep. about yep. in the... The final, the final. I want to say it was a vlog that Bungie was doing. Well, that, but also when you finally get to um, Fellwinter's shotgun or Fellwinter's, mm-hmm. uh, what was it, Fellwinter's lie? Um, when mm-hmm. you go to retrieve it, the satellite, the the original, like one of the original bodies of Rasputin, Ghost comments about it being a ship. Um, a basic ship AI. AI that was basically responsible for like keeping its passengers alive that is the ai that was r like so they basically connect the dots there that connect that r was the basis that became rasputin and that's what i was saying i think it was earlier in the intro session mialova mialova brought r into existence but it was anna who kind of guided and grew that into rasputin as we know it but that would be why that's that's my understanding of why Rasputin is quote unquote Russian based is because of that connection to Mialova being from 
Russia and her that was her life project was the construction of the AI that would become R. Mm-hmm. Also, the Russian accent just sounds really good in that distorted cybernetic tone. Yes. <laughs> Hard to recreate, though. Infested it's, Potato was trying to do it, and it's a mess. Yeah, it's super difficult. So I'm trying to think of some of the other things we had. Uh, Pilgrimage, Strange Terrain, Psionic Potential, Hephaestus, Peace of the Past, The World Quest. The World Quest where we are told by Zavala to get rid of all the data like to destroy the terminals that contain the data for this project. And then Anna's like, Don't make do me a copy. Make me a copy first. <laughs> that I, one's I fun. promise that I won't fun. tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Do ex- he's right. It would be dangerous. Do what he says, but make me a copy first. Yeah, that was... Uh, that is Hephaestus. That was, yeah, that was yeah. Hephaestus. Which is a good thing he's, we kept that because, you know, almighty. Just a wee bit. Uh, let's see. The Omni Key is the one that is in the World Quest. I'm honestly, the World Quest is not one that stood out to me, and I don't know. <sighs> I like the World Quest because there... it highlighted something that we didn't know, um, which was the tensions between the Brays. Mm. Because Willa, Elsie, and Anna did not get along at all. Um, and if I, I'm trying to remember correctly, Elsie well, and, and Anna, Anna were sisters. Willa did not. Willa was, I got the feeling that Willa was like their mom or a generation older than them. Not necessarily their mom, but like she was above them in age because I think she was the one that was calling shots. And then like, didn't, wasn't Elsie, man, I haven't, I haven't read that particular thing in a while but i wasn't willa trying to actually like get rid of one of them wasn't it elsie that she was trying to get rid of from a project i don't think permanently although there was implications that it may have been permanently i think she was trying to get her off of a certain project that they were working on because willow always worked on the more dangerous ones the siva project and everything yeah and i think what happened with uh elsie and willow was uh Willow wanted to use the world line to like the technology that was in the world line. She wanted to use it in other weapons. Like she wanted mm, to expand yeah. upon what world line had. Right. And Elsie and Elsie knew the potential and didn't want to do it because she knew it would have been catastrophic if that was the case. I mean, given, given Willa's involvement with the SIVA research, I mean that I totally can see that being a, the case. Because I swear, I'm, I'm going to have to look this back up, because I swear there was an entry about Willow walking around with a gun. <laughs> swear. <laughs> swear there was like... Kel- toting around it was a gun. Like, no, it was like Kelvin 18 or something I, like that. Like, yeah, it was, I remember what you're talking about. It was about. something like, I remember reading it and I'm being like, that is really creepy. Like, I... It is 18 Kelvins. Or 18 Kelvins, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never thought I'd be carrying a gun. I'm a scientist, not some kind of soldier. But the way things have been going in the labs, I just don't feel oh, safe Oh, that's right. Anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard rumors of what happened with the SIVA project and some of the people involved. Let's just say they aren't answering their email. Willa has been seen roaming the halls, keeping an eye on us. At least the sidearm is easy to conceal. So it's not Willa It's not Willa carrying the, the gun. Sidearm. It's the scientists it's for defense. Jur- yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's right. Because that's what Dancing and I were talking about in chat is Willa had the previous team for uh, uh, Shirazi with the Siva mites. Mm-hmm. They, she had them 
air quote removed or let go. Um, and we never found out what actually happened to them, but she did forward the, um, she forwarded the concerns of Shirazi to the new replacement. And that's what Dancy mm-hmm. and I were talking about. Cause I always read that as her manipulating things, basically being like, look, this is what's not allowed. Um, and then, yeah, this this thing plus the flavor text is like cold blooded. Like, Willa's. So the World Line Zero entry is an email from Willa to Elsie congratulating her on it. And then uh, Willa suggesting all the different implications. And then immediately in this email, there's a string of commands saying to delete everything. And there's it deletes over a million files. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to count this yep. up. 1. 1.4 yeah. million. Oh. Except for except for one and H index, H E index, Hephaestus index 005 could not be deleted. So that would be the Hephaestus project, right? Which right. I would assume you could maybe argue that that was the actual sword that we get. Well, the Hephaestus project was the thing that we were helping in the adventure because that's the name of that adventure. Oh, okay, okay. Well, this is the Hephaestus index. Mm-hmm. So, Which is what we recover, isn't it? That's what we recover in that adventure. Yes, yeah. But I'm what I what I was saying is like the the data the database or the uh, the word will come to me in just a second. The blueprint for the World Line Zero sword could be the mm-hmm. Index O five. That could be the blueprint for that sword, possibly. Gotcha, gotcha. Scary stuff. All right. I have no more things to chat about with this one, unless you guys want to theorize some more about what's going on with Mars. What we haven't done is theorize exactly what's going to happen to the planets that have the pyramid ships on them. Anybody want to give a shot at that or take a shot at that? I'm willing to. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing to really back up anything that I say other than... so. I, I don't know – once again, you guys know better than I would. Um, I don't think that the planets are going to be destroyed. Like I don't think they're mm-hmm. going to be fizzled away, blown up or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think what, what might happen is that they're going to be uh, – how do I put this? So overrun with darkness that they become toxic for us to stay in. So like – we've seen in the crucible some maps are leaving some maps aren't from the planets that are leaving correct so the only thing that i can think of that would because i mean i'll hand it to them they they usually keep it uh keep it really straight and narrow whenever it comes to like lore and stuff there has to be a reason why crucible matches are still taking place on these planets that aren't inhabited that we can't go to anymore so the only thing I can think of, and this would be really cool, I'm not expecting them to do this, but if we'll just say that each of the pyramid ships uh, unleash, like, we'll just say a dark fog over the entire planet that's toxic to us, whatever, um, but these crucible arenas are a safe place for whatever reason. What would be cool is if in the background, in the skybox of these crucible arenas, we see that black fog or whatever it is that is toxic to us that we can't explore the rest of the planet except for these crucible maps. That would be cool. I I agree with you. I don't think they're going to blow up the planets. I don't think it's going to be anything as 
drastic as that, because if that were the case, we would never get back the content out of the vault. So the idea of either a darkness zone that's so encompassing or a... um, I'm trying to think of what the term would be in warfare, where you inhabit a zone with enemies, like a zone is completely overrun with enemies, that kind of aspect, which would lead me to believe that Shax and the Red Jacks are just so OP that they can just chase off any pesky pyramid ships from their area or whoever, pyramid heads, if we're going to go that route, which is a lot darker than I was hoping to go for with that, but... Or somebody makes something like a field to prevent, like obviously you can't, like we'll just say it's the fog. You can't make something that totally gets rid of the fog from the entire planet. But in a pinch, just to think of something really fast, you can technically place a device, we'll just say, in the middle of a crucible map in order to keep the fog away from a certain distance from that device. That would make more sense than some of the other things. I mean, we used to have fights on the Dreadnought for all intents and purposes because we just cleared the zone out, right? Right. Blue, do you have any theories or concepts that you want to go over with that? Or No, I mean, like, I, I agree with the idea that, I mean, I'm I'm more and more in the opinion that we are not going to have the planets destroyed. Um, I think they're going to be declared a no-fly zone if anything, that would be the Occam's razor approach is basically, you know, it, it does the same effect. Basically, it's it's basically they're not similar to following the Great Disaster, how the, the moon became a no, no fly zone. You know, we've got everyone pulled back afterwards. Um, I'm trying to remember what the, te- the technical term for that was that they referred to it as. But um, like, you know, I... I definitely see that being you know, the easiest way. I mean, Sloan's going to remain there. Asher's going to remain on planet. Sloan's going to remain on Titan, as far as we know, because she's in that mecha suit. Um, we don't know what Anna's plans are, besides to try to fix Rasputin. I think Anna, Hard? but Anna's in a jump ship, so I mean, yeah. Whereas Sloan, thought, or yeah, go for it. Sorry. No, I, I I thought that the whole point of that mission a few weeks back was to get everybody ready to leave. Correct. Correct. Sloan is not the only one on the planet, though. Sloan has a bunch of workers with her there that have been doing different missions when it comes to cargo. There's a there's a thing, I believe, in that mission where it talks about the, um, not the gear, but the... Mechs. Golden Age. It's not the mechs. It's the Golden Age stuff that were being dropped off. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She was going to send people over there. She also talks about how she to- moisturizes. Yes, but that's in duress and egress, which is why she can stand being on Titan without a helmet on. But yeah, the mech thing, I don't know. She stands, the mech shows up, and for those people who haven't read the lore on Ishtar, we technically don't have this lore in game yet as of this recording. This one has not been released. I I will, God. Go for it. No, you go for it. No, there is just just real fast. There is one thing that I would love if if it were to happen. I don't know if it will. Um, I thought about this with a few other people a little weeks back. Um, what would be really really cool is regardless of what happens to the planet, if it becomes something as the planet blows up, we get a dark fog, whatever. If we did a mission similar to that week that we made them prepare. If we did a mission on every single planet to get whoever it is 
off the planet and then it's gone. Like the weeks leading up to Beyond Light, the planets go away one by one. Mm-hmm. And we and there's a mission, like a, a full blown mission to get everybody off. And it's like it, you can time it. You can do whatever you want. But like if there's a mission on each planet to get everybody off, like I think that would kind of be really cool. So you can see each of the planets either being taken over, destroyed or whatever the hell they have. That would make planned. sense with the way that they've done the seasons and how the big events at the end of the season go off. There's a lead up to it. Yeah, that's also I, I mean, slight slight spoilers there that's probably going to be the exodus evacuation component of the uh traveler's chosen quest that we still are waiting for to drop because we had exodus preparation which was how we got the first half of the book and then Mm -hmm. exodus evacuation is most likely going to be either the second half or the third half with the with maybe a few other steps getting those other entries it's the last third okay okay that so like yeah, but we have we have an exotic quest that's that's basically we're pen, quote pending confirmation, but it's referred to as Exodus Evacuation, and I'm imagining that's going to be given the name. <laughs> imagining that's yeah. going to be basically what it is is now also within the lore we know that Asher was not leave the planet, and we don't know about Sloane, but we know Asher is not going to leave necessarily because the last we see of Asher. And Vance. Sorry, Vance is not leaving either. Um, Asher and Vance... Vance goes into the infant forest. And Asher walks into the Pyramidian and brings down the lake. Sloane is in her mech right. when and I, we fly away. Right. So and we don't Sloane, know what happens to Sloane her. Sloane is, of the three of them, Sloane is the one that I can easily see them kind of tweaking that and being like, and then we come pick her up, you know. Whereas Asher's like yeah. literally in the Pyramidian and um, Vance has already pretty much locked the door and gouged the eyes out of the darkness. Because, you know, that's how you do it. <laughs> I loved recording that card. That was my favorite card oh my to record. Anyway, I was, like, we I should was do... so happy that they gave Vance that. Like, I was... Uh. We should do shout-outs and wrap up this session. So, one more series of shout-outs for us, Gray. Where can we find you on the internet? And any shout-outs that you have for others out there? Uh, you can find me almost anywhere on the internet, um, at Sentinel Gray, Gray with an A, not an E. Um, you can find me on Twitch, uh, YouTube and Twitter. Um, and as far as shouting people out, I do want to shout out, uh, uh, my lovely girlfriend and fellow Sherpa, Mal Nightingale. You can find her on Twitter, uh, at Mal Nightingale. Uh, Green, I'm going to steal this one from you. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to shout out the Termino team because they've been doing some awesome stuff. Uh, I've seen it and I've heard it. So it's it's looking really, really good. Uh, and last shout out to my good friend, Isakul, who is the creator of Termino and who puts in a lot of work and is really awesome. And that's all I got. I'm being awkward now. You're okay. Awkward is okay. We're all nerds here. It's fine. Uh, my shout out actually goes to... My team at Destiny Lore Audiophile, I have had quite a few volunteers from Drudge and Parable to um, Hyper Syntax, Wicked Jester, Infested Potato, uh, Laz the Lazrich the Rit Lich, 
have all volunteered and have recorded books for me for Destiny Lore Audiophile, and I've been editing and getting those guys queued up for you guys to listen to. I know the first book of the guest reader will be The Books of Sorrow, as read by Hypersyntax of Video Game Crosstalk, so my shout-out goes to you guys tonight. Thank you for volunteering, and thank you guys for being awesome and contributing the way you guys have. Blue. Uh, just a general reminder again, uh, please check out thelorenetwork.com and let us know if we can do anything to help out your search for different lore content or if we're missing something. That's definitely something we would like to hear about so that we can make sure to make finding the amazing content creators that you enjoy or that you want to discover more about uh, easier for other people to find. Um, other than that, just uh, be sure to leave us thoughts and reviews on iTunes or wherever you guys happen to be listening to us. We always appreciate it. Um, or send us an email at focusfirechat at gmail.com. Uh, but yeah, as always, thank you for your time. And until next time, remember with wisdom, we conquer, stand strong, stand tall and keep exploring. With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusedfirechat. Links to all our episode archives can be found at www.thelorenetwork.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments and or questions for the team concerning the podcast, and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. So until next time, focus your fire, and may your light shine bright. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.